Oh, grant us grace, Almighty Lord, to read and mark your holy word, its truths with meekness to receive, and by its holy precepts live. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Let us stand together for the reading of God's word. Refreshing hospitality and work at Corinth. Looking at Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. I'll read from verse 1 of chapter 18 through to verse 17. Uh, Please listen carefully because this is God's holy and infallible word. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by vision, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city." And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God, contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, Look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. And thus ends the reading of God's word. Amen. 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 Please be seated. As you can see there, I inadvertently duplicated verses 5 and 6. So we need to consider what Paul has been through. This particular section of the book of Acts really stands before us as an example of God's encouragement 
and help uh, along the way. We can grow weary. Uh, Things can add up over time. The grueling nature of life can be overwhelming for us at times. Let's consider Paul at this point, his second missionary journey. Since he left Antioch, you know, going across the mountains into southern Galatia through all those churches again, and then wandering like he did through Phrygia and making his way to Troas, and then making his way across to Macedonia, to Philippi, and then he had the difficulties at Thessalonica and Berea, and then to Athens and now to Corinth. He's covered about 1,420 miles at this point in time. It's been approximately 18 months. We know uh, from clues that this second journey was probably from around AD 49 through to AD 51, so two to three years. And today's text, as you've heard, we know he spent at least 18 months in Corinth. And you see there the danger. Uh, He'd been stoned in the past. He knew that he could be stoned again. So his life was constantly in danger before these Jews. He had faced many discouragements along the way, not just the physical difficulties of the travel, um, but also the discouragements of losing Barnabas and John Mark at the beginning. And you recall the wandering through Phrygia to Troas that time when he was unsure where he'd be going next. And then, you know, at Philippi, he had some good things happen, but he was beaten and he was imprisoned there. And then he saw his friend Jason uh, beaten at uh, Thessalonica. Certainly he knew about it if he didn't witness it. And there's just this persistent Jewish resistance and attack against him that's constantly there. And then especially the kind of zenith of opposition posed by the Thessalonican Jews. And we see them really uh, filling up the measure of wickedness in their sin against God's church. He'd had limited success in Athens. And now he comes into Corinth, this giant city uh, marked by immorality, uh, all alone uh, with the enormity of the task there before him, this entrenched evil. And you can imagine the kind of temptations he would have towards discouragement, towards giving up. He needs money at this point in time. He didn't become a tent maker here because he felt like it would be a great idea. He did it because it was necessary. And he had apparently run out of funds at this point in time. And he needed to work a second job now at Corinth in order to make ends meet. And certainly we'll see how the Lord used the providence of this situation to demonstrate that reality to him. And it's a really beautiful providence that the Lord provides. Again, he's alone at this point in time. His companions are not with him. It appears as those who had been converted at Athens stayed in Athens. And so it's just really worth considering, is it not, the weariness of body and soul in the grueling path of service to Christ. And Paul knew this. Uh, Galatians 6, 9, he'd written earlier. Remember, he wrote this before, probably before the first missionary journey. He says, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So this is before he'd really experienced the grueling nature of his missionary journeys. But later in 2 Thessalonians, he writes, uh, probably from Corinth, probably during this stay in Corinth. So he's experienced uh, the first missionary journey and the bulk of his second missionary journey at this point when he writes these words. As for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. So today's message is a message for the weary soul. 
a message uh, for those Christians along the path who bumped into discouragement, uh, physical ailments, emotional difficulties, relational difficulties, and who are looking for a breather. God points us the way uh, through simple things in life that he provides for his people. First, we'll look at the journey from Athens to Corinth. We'll see that Paul finds Aquila and Priscilla. We'll see him refreshing, uh, finding refreshment in hospitality and in work. And really, that's the crux of God's encouragement to us today is the refreshment to be found in fellowship, especially close fellowship and hospitality and in the joy of working with our hands and uh, carrying out the uh, occupation, the vocation that God has given to us in our daily lives. And yet, along the way, he continues to reason in the synagogue every Sabbath. You can tell he's not doing this daily as much as he was before. So it's, it's a lot like our normal lives, those of us who are not in full-time ministry. Uh, this demonstrates a time in Paul's ministry where he's working six days, uh, and surely he's ministering and demonstrating the ministry of the gospel there in his working life and afterwards, uh, for sure. But uh, then he goes to the Sabbath each Lord's Day. He's worshiping God with his people, and he's there reasoning with them, persuading them to come to Christ. And as usual, some questions to know and to love and to obey God more fully in our lives to bring the application to our world today. So first of all, verse 1, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. So you know what Paul has experienced there in Athens. And he journeys, as you can see there on the map, across that isthmus uh, to the Peloponnesian Peninsula, which is like a giant island, but there is that isthmus there. And it's a very important isthmus. It's been an important location for battles uh, throughout history. And it serves as an important travel spot over land uh, instead of having to sail all the way around. And this uh, caused Corinth to grow and to be a giant economic center. It was actually the provincial capital uh, there of that region in Rome. And uh, it was uh, an important economic center. It was very wealthy and uh, it was very large. And it's located more than 40 miles west of Athens. And it was a day's sail away or else it took a few days by foot We don't know if Paul had walked or if he had sailed. Likely he walked because when he did sail, he would present that. But we don't know for sure. And it looks like he made this journey alone uh, without traveling companions, leaving uh, those new Athens Christians uh, behind. So again, this goes into where Paul is at this point in time during his ministry. The city of Corinth, situated strategically at the southwest end of the isthmus, separating the Peloponnese and Attica. And Attica is that uh, southeastern region there of Achaia, uh, where where Athens is. So about Corinth, a couple of things that are worth noting. First of all, the immorality of this city was known throughout the Roman Empire. Kaiser says, though Athens was more of a stronghold of Satan in certain ways, especially in the intellectual fashion, Corinth had its own idols and its own strongholds. The two main gods of the city were Neptune, because of the seaport, and Aphrodite, the goddess of love, called Venus by the Romans. And anybody who writes about Corinth will tell you that this city was the most immoral city in in the empire, at least that we have records about. No sexual perversion was hidden from view. If you think the gay pride parades in San Francisco are gross, realize that Corinth didn't need to protest or parade. The whole city was so given over to immorality that throughout the Roman empire, the word to Corinthianize meant to engage 
in sexual perversion. Every imaginable kind of sex industry was available. And just to give you an idea, the main temple in the city had a thousand temple prostitutes. Some have suggested that uh, when Paul wrote Romans 1, 26 through 28, he was giving a description of what he had seen in Corinth. This place completely given over to depravity. Paul sees this as he arrives. You know, he comments on this when he writes to them in 1 Corinthians. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So even as he arrives, we have to believe Paul was walking in the confidence of the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he observes and sees these Corinthian people who are delivered over to all forms of wickedness, redeemed and brought forth from those lives of wickedness and into the life of faith and righteousness. It should encourage us to know that there is no heart too far gone for the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and that grace is given as part of the, when we deliver the gospel and we speak of sin, for someone to discover the, the sin of their lives is grace to them. Of course, we don't, in today's world, we're discouraged from speaking of these things, aren't we? But we do a kindness to all when we declare what sin is and invite people and tell them the commandments of God to repent and come to Christ. It should be encouraging to us. Paul did not give way to discouragement, nor should we. Next, Corinth was a very large city. So not only was the immorality uh, of great magnitude, but there were so many people here. Where Athens had a maximum of 10,000 people in it, the city of Corinth had over 250,000 people. And that was a huge city for that time. And he doesn't have his team with him. So as he enters this city as a lone stranger, he's lost in a sea of humanity. And again, we can imagine the enormity of the task could have been overwhelming. Um, and certainly not the kind of missionary principles that we want to emulate, right? No one wants to show up alone in a city like that. And Paul understood this. I think that was probably another part of the reason why he didn't immediately go and start to do the same type of missionary work he had done in other towns. Just like we discussed in Athens, he didn't do that in Athens, but he, his spirit was provoked, right? And so here he is, though, nonetheless. So what happens next? He finds Aquila and Priscilla. What a gift of God. He found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome and he came to them. So first of all, Paul found, we're told, he found Aquila and Priscilla. This means to come upon, to hit upon, to meet with someone. And it can be after intentional searching or it can be without searching, searching so that the meeting occurs by chance. We don't really know here. 
It is amazing, obviously, in a city of 250,000 people, if it happened purely by chance, if he wasn't even seeking for him, for them. Maybe they met at the synagogue. Maybe they met uh, because of their common trade. Maybe both. Who knows? Either way, we should consider God's love and providence to bless us along the way as we serve him. And we should expect our Father in heaven to be granting us these types of kind providences through our lives. And those who note providences will surely have providences to note. It's not just true about history. It's true about our lives as well. So about Aquila and Priscilla. Well, they're husband and wife. And Aquila is from this area called Pontus. It was located in what is now Turkey. Okay, so it's located in what is now Turkey. And included the southeastern coast of the Black Sea and the mountains rising up from the coast. So think of northeastern Turkey today along the Black Sea. And there's a little map there that's a little bit hard to read because it's so small. But you can make out there in the uh, northeastern region of, of, of the Roman Empire at that time, the province of Pontus. And we don't really know if that's where Aquila was from because actually Pontus extended around uh, the coast of the Black Sea, around and up to even the northern coast of the Black Sea. So we don't know for sure where he was from, but he was a Jew from that region and somehow had made his way uh, to, to Rome and then at this point to Corinth. So he's listed as a Jew, but he's also likely a Christian at this time. And this demonstrates that Paul wouldn't have considered being Jewish, meaning that you weren't Christian. Um, and Priscilla is also likely a Christian at this time. Um, we see their ongoing work and association with Paul and the church uh, that demonstrate the fruit of Christ in their lives, even at this time. Uh, they travel with Paul when he later leaves Corinth. We see they go with him. Acts eighteen eighteen. they travel with him. They're able to explain the way of God more accurately to Apollos at Ephesus because Paul leaves them behind at Ephesus as a part of the, uh, this journey. They stay in Ephesus. And so they really know the faith. The, and they later had a church in their home at Ephesus uh, in AD 55, some uh, four or five years later after this time frame. It says, the churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord and the church that is in their house. So this is when Paul is, is writing back to Corinth from Ephesus, uh, giving them instruction and encouragement because he was in Ephesus for a while. So we see their love for the church. These are the kinds of people that God providentially brought into his life. It says they greet you heartily in the Lord. They're opening their home for God's people, for God's church. Later, this was a habit of theirs. They had a church in their home in Rome around AD 57. They had risked their lives for Paul, he says. He says in Romans 16, three through five, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all, all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. So this was written to the Romans, um, to the church at Rome, uh, around AD 57 by Paul. And even later, in AD 65, they're still encouraging God's church later when they're at Ephesus. So they're back to Ephesus by this point in time. It says, greet Priscilla and Aquila. This is in 2 Timothy 4.19, um, likely Paul's uh, final writing. So where had they been before this? They'd been in Italy, uh, likely Rome or near Rome. And they'd been banished by the decree of Claudius. So we see another providential outcome of Claudius banishing the Jews was the encouragement of Paul because they had to leave Rome because of this banishment. 
And they had recently arrived in Corinth. So apparently, you can see they must have had some wealth, some ability to travel, uh, multiple different homes that that people had stayed in. So God brings them these established, if you will, kind of financially secure Christian couple to serve them and help them during this time. Commentary says they left Rome because of the edict of Claudius. This probably alludes to the decree in AD 49 that expelled Jews who created civil disturbances at the instigation of Christus, which is either a misspelled reference to Christ or an alternative spelling based on the Latin pronunciation. So in this AD 49 uh, decree from Claudius helps us kind of know the correlation there and get these uh, timelines set up. It's one of the key kind of landmarks, uh, milestones that gives us the time frame. The debate over Jesus had caused riots in the city, probably about whether Jesus was the Christ. Paulus Orosius, a Christian writer of the 5th century, places the edict in the ninth year of Claudius' reign, giving us the date of AD 49, a point that most scholars accept. The decree of expulsion and the fact that they had to leave Rome may well suggest that the two were Christians already in Rome. They would have been among the estimated 50,000 Jews living in Rome at that time. Commentary, another commentary says, when Paul arrived in Corinth, probably in February or March of the year AD 50, Claudius's edict of AD 49 was indeed a very recent event which had forced Aquila and Priscilla to leave Rome and move to Corinth. You know, they... Who knows uh, how Aquila and Priscilla were dealing with this, but you can imagine they were scratching their heads a little bit, wondering what God was doing. Well, here and there, coming together with Paul, they're getting some answers, aren't they? They're discovering uh, part of why God moved them and brought them to this new town the way that he did. So they work together as tent makers. The commentary says Paul and these two make an immediate connection because they share the same trade. 1 Corinthians 4 refers to how Paul labored with his hands to earn a living. And also in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 9. So Paul references this in his epistles that he's written. They are tent makers, which likely included working with leather in general, so that they can be considered as leather workers. And this speaks of primarily leather work, which also could include tents. So ultimately, this meant being an expert with leather, but also in how to put it together to make a tent. Another commentary says, though he was entitled to a maintenance from the churches he had planted and from the people to whom he preached, yet he worked at his calling to get bread, which is more to his praise who did not ask for supplies than to theirs who did not supply him unasked, knowing what straits he was reduced to. So this is getting to kind of looking at Paul's heart as a result of his choice to go into this tent-making work. See how humble Paul was and wonder that so great a man could stoop so low. But he had learned condescension from his master, who came not to be ministered to, but to minister. See how industrious he was and how willing to take pains. He that had so much excellent work to do with his mind, yet when there was occasion, did not think it below him to work with his hands. Even those that are redeemed from the curse of the law are not exempt from that sentence. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread. See how careful Paul was to recommend his ministry and to prevent prejudices against it, even the most unjust and unreasonable. He therefore maintained himself with his own labor that he might not make a gospel, the gospel of Christ burdensome. So this uh, should encourage each one of us to value the work that God has given to us and the importance of working with our hands 
and the, the good things that God works in us as we do this. I think we should consider God's kindness and tenderness uh, to comfort Paul here at this time like he did. He arrives in Corinth alone, this giant, totally depraved city with limited financial resources and likely tempted toward weariness and discouragement. And then God brings him two Christian friends, likely a Christian couple, who have also experienced loss and suffering as believers and who share Paul's trade. Think of this. Praise be to God. He didn't, he was, he was in need of finances. He wasn't sure what was going to happen next. This really should be an encouragement to all of us in our vocations and in our work is that God sees the next day. And as we pray for our daily bread, don't we see the manna from heaven coming to Paul here in this example? Oh, brothers and sisters, I hope you understand, do you, how much the Lord loves you and how much he promises to care for you and for your families and that he has plans to comfort you and help you in your weariness as you continue to serve him and follow him. I don't think that such great moves of God are only for his apostles of old. Is it not also our father's heart towards us still this day? So in what ways does God bring this encouragement? We see refreshing hospitality and work brought to Paul. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for by occupation, they were tent makers. So we see this phrase here, because Paul was of the same trade. So this is again, is God's good providence. And so their connection as fellow tent makers served as the initial foundation for their connection for their willingness to invite him into their home. And likely, they were able to help him find work. So this gave Paul some providential influence in their lives. He stayed with them and worked with them. And apparently, his ability to do this work, he had learned it, he understood it, he could do it, was a part of what gained him good and credible influence with them. Again, this should be an encouragement to all of us, especially you young men who are seeking trades for your future to be excellent with your hands and to know that God is granting you this skill for his glory, for his kingdom. He was able to stay with them and work with them because of this. Commentary says Paul stayed with them. That is, he lived in their house where he also worked. So Aquila and Priscilla gave Paul the opportunity to support himself financially by working in his trade, it is possible that the emerging church met in their house as well. It wouldn't be a surprise, would it, based on what we know about them? We hear coming from another commentary that Paul thus moved from intellectual debate with philosophers and giving a speech before this august Areopagus council in Athens to now, in, if you will, almost um, anonymous manual work amongst the Corinthian artisans. And this shows us as Christians kind of uh, how we should be able to engage with, with all, all places of humanity if we are walking in Christ's ways. So after this recurring pattern of city to city travel for over a year now, preaching most days while in each city, Paul now transitions to a, a time of really part-time evangelism while living with his, this loving Christian couple you can see how this would be a time of refreshing for him. 
Even though he's working hard with his hands, there's no hint of Jewish attacks at this point in time. So it seems like God kind of eased the pressure in his life a bit and granted him some close fellowship and time of work and refreshment, rebuild his funds during this time. Brothers and sisters, are you needing refreshment and encouragement in your life? Do you sense this need in your life? Well, two questions should come to mind. What is your life of hospitality like? Do you give hospitality? Do you receive it? What is your attitude towards hospitality? Do you view it as a chore or as a source of refreshment? You see, I think so often we can end up seeing hospitality as a chore and it can be something that weighs us down in our minds. But I think we see here, don't we, that Aquila and Priscilla are also encouraged? that they are strengthened in the faith through their relationship with Paul. Married couples, think about what Aquila and Priscilla did here. Would you do that? Would your heart be moved in this way? Now, granted, they apparently didn't have any children. There's no mention of children at this time. Um, But in either case, doesn't it bring before our eyes a consideration of hospitality? Giving and receiving hospitality, brothers and sisters, should be viewed as drinking from a fountain, as a way of finding refreshment in one another's presence and coming together and seeing one another face to face over a good meal and good drink and sharing conversation and sharing one another's burdens together in these conversations and praying for one another and continuing the conversation in our lives and going away strengthened as we do so. The Christian home is a fountain of strength and love. Next, What is your work life like? What is your work life like? And this isn't just for husbands who are out in the workforce. Uh, It's not just for wives who are helping their husbands and who are doing the work of a wife. Uh, It's uh, not just for mothers who are working hard in the uh, raising up their children and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. It's also for you children. God has a calling on your life now to be nurtured in the ways of the Lord, and to embrace this as your calling right now in your life. And do you view work as a chore or does it come to you as a refreshment? Now, granted, some of the work that we are given in today's world does seem very pointless and wasteful. We've all seen this and we've endured this before. And I'm sure Paul, didn't he go through that as well? I'm sure that he dealt with finding tent pegs and leather and Sources for his materials and dealing with clients. And he went through these same types of futility that we go through. But we see him, don't we, being strengthened in this endeavor. And we can be too. So I think maybe it's important for us to have an attitude shift in how we view hospitality and how we view our work. I know this is true for me. So do you dig into your work with zeal? Finding refreshment in your daily work. Those opportunities as you work to be refreshed in the Lord's goodness. Moms, when you give a drink of cold water to your little child, you're giving it to Christ. Uh, Do you realize that all good work, no matter whether it's blue collar or white collar or home collar, whatever it might be, is sanctified by God unto Christians who do that work in his name. And this should be of great encouragement to us. It tears down the sacred secular distinction that I think is so often in our minds and helps us know that everything we do each day is a place where we can 
Find God's presence where we can be seeking his face. May God grant this to us as we think through our life of hospitality and fellowship and as we think through our attitude towards work. Next. What is he doing during this time? Well, he's reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath. So he doesn't lay aside. And as we'll see, he's likely doing the same kind of work with the Greeks throughout the week as well. Not just the Greeks at the synagogue. The text says he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. So he's reasoning every Sabbath. Christ is always on his tongue as he's doing his work and as he's coming to each Sabbath day. And I want us to note that preaching is, and Paul shows this to us over and over again, it's always done with love and logic, developing relationships of mutual respect with all as we go and as God gives us opportunity. We should be known for our kind speech and for our reasoned exchange with people, known for being listeners who love those with whom we engage and who listen well and ask good questions and promote enjoyable conversation around the most important questions of life, delving into what it means to be human with each person with whom we come into contact with. Commentary says he reasoned with them in the synagogue publicly every Sabbath. See in what way the apostles propagated the gospel, not by force and violence, by fire and sword, not by demanding an implicit consent, but by fair arguing. They drew with the cords of a man, gave a reason for what they said, and gave a liberty to object against it, having satisfactory answers ready. God invites us to come and reason with him in Isaiah 118. And challenges sinners to produce their cause and bring forth their strong reasons in Isaiah 41. Paul was a rational as well as a scriptural preacher. We saw this in Athens, did we not? And he continues to do this. And this should be a real encouragement to us. To humility and to courage as we go through preaching and sharing the gospel through the days of our lives. So as we see, Paul, because of his vocational work being necessary at this time, he's not engaged in full-time ministry, but he's active nonetheless in his apostolic calling as the Lord gives opportunity on the Jewish Sabbath in the synagogue. So he's continuing to do the will of God. He's present for worship on the Jewish Sabbath. He's there with the people of God. The old covenant dispensation is yet to be destroyed. And so he's faithfully there with them as a faithful Jew. He's also persuading. He's working to persuade both Jews and Greeks. And there's two possible meanings for this idea of persuasion we see here in the commentary. One, the urgency of his preaching could be in view. He did not only dispute argumentatively with them, but he followed his arguments with affectionate persuasions, begging of them for God's sake, for their own soul's sake, for their children's sake, not to refuse the offer of salvation made to them. So this goes along with what we learned in Athens about how he called them to repentance. He laid out the distinctions. This is the reasoning, laying out the distinctions between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, that there is no reconciliation between them. There's no common ground between them. And the only righteous and logical response is to repent, to lay aside the kingdom of darkness and come fully to Christ and his kingdom. 
This is persuasion calling for repentance. The other option, and it could be both, is the good effect of his preaching. He persuaded them that as he prevailed with them so that some understood it and were brought over to his own opinion. Some of them were convinced by his reasoning and yielded to Christ. Now, we need to see here also that he does not limit his gospel work to Jews only, but as usual, as we always see him doing, he goes to both. And as we progress through Corinth, he will eventually stop his engagements with the apostate Jews. As we read, I read it twice this morning. Hopefully I'll remember to remove that next week. And we'll just read those scriptures once next week. Commentary says the location of Paul's encounter with the Greeks is disputed. So perhaps he's only there in the synagogue and the, these are the Greeks that are close to the synagogue. While most commentators regard the Greeks as Gentiles connected with the synagogue, so they would be God-fearers or more generally just as sympathizers, it seems more plausible to regard verse 4 as a summary statement on Paul's missionary work in Corinth, in which case Paul sought encounters with Jews in their synagogues and Greeks in their agora or other gathering places. If Paul worked during the day in his trade as a tent maker, he would have encouraged Greeks in the workshop of Aquila and Priscilla. The imperfect tense of the two verbs indicates that Paul's ministry among the Jewish community and among the Greek population of the city was an ongoing effort to proclaim the good news of Jesus as Israel's Messiah and Savior of the world. And this makes a lot of sense. Do you think Paul would have closed his mouth regarding the gospel during his days amongst the Greeks there? Uh, working as a tent maker? Surely not. He would have been persuading them as well. He would have been reasoning with them as well. And his hard work and probably his excellent work as a tent maker would have been on display as he was living in his demonstration of Christ-like character to those with whom he engaged during that time. So brothers and sisters, uh, just a few things to consider uh, in closing for today's message. Are you weary? Do you find yourself discouraged, tempted towards discouragement? We see Paul going through that, don't we? He had uh, relationship difficulties. He had uh, recurrent threats in his life. He had certainly mixed results in the ministry efforts that he had put forth so far. He was stretched thin in his finances at this time. And we know from things that he wrote later that it was really impacting him. His soul was experiencing the weight of, of all of this. God blesses him here at this time with this providential encounter with Aquila and Priscilla. And we've seen how God prepared Aquila and Priscilla for this time and the hospitality they offered to him and the work that came his way and the providential preparation that he was a tent maker he could have been just about any trade, but he was a tent maker and that he brought them together. So what is your attitude towards hospitality? What is your attitude towards Christian fellowship? What is your attitude towards the work that God has given you in your life? If you are tempted to grow weary in your life as uh, following Christ, whether it's whatever area of your life it may be, I hope that you will consider hospitality and Christian fellowship and the work that God has given to you 
as places intended for God to refresh your soul and to seek the Lord, to know that you can find Christ's presence in your life. Certainly in the fellowship with the saints, you would expect that. And hospitalities, potential weights that could be on your shoulder will turn into wings instead. And you will find uh, the, the effort that you put in uh, to travel uh, or to prepare for these engagements with your Christian brothers and sisters, whether they're of Cornerstone or of the broader church, will be of great refreshment to you. I encourage you to consider hospitality and Christian fellowship in your life. And your work, as you do your work each day, is your heart in the right place as you go to do your work? I recall a conviction of the Lord regarding living in the moment. And uh, before I knocked on this one door to walk in to see this patient in my vocation and my work as a doctor, it dawned on me the, the joy that I, I should have. The opportunity in this to engage with another human being at this level. And I was really feeling thankful as I walked in. And in that particular moment, the Lord blessed me with a really, really sweet encounter where this woman encouraged me. And um, we were both tearful with joy and God's goodness to us by the end of that encounter. But I think if I had come to that door feeling weighed down and, and worried and seeing my vocation in some other way that I don't know if I would have been, uh, certainly I would not have been as receptive to what the Holy Spirit did at that moment. So brothers and sisters, I encourage you, I ask you to consider your life of uh, your relationships with your fellow Christians, uh, your attitude towards hospitality and towards your work. And finally, if you are feeling weary, if you are feeling discouraged and weighed down, if you are tempted, uh, then recall God's love for you. Do you recall God's love for you and his tenderness towards you? And that his presence and his love in your life is like a fountain uh, that never grows dry and that is always overflowing and that he will come and comfort you. It may not be through uh, hospitality or Christian fellowship. It may not be in your work. The Lord is not limited in ways that he can comfort and encourage you. Seek his face and he will encourage you and strengthen you along the road of service to him and his kingdom. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for your love and your kindness displayed in the life of Paul and Aquila and Priscilla. And we thank you for Christian fellowship, for hospitality. Lord, we thank you for how you bless us in finances with our daily bread. Lord, we thank you for our work and the opportunity to be refreshed in our work. We thank you that you are the God who comforts us. And so, Lord, we do, each one of us, with gladness, lift our souls to you once again and cry out to you, Father, oh, bless us and help us, encourage us, comfort our souls, we pray, oh God, in Jesus' name, amen.